guys, there's one more thing we've got to take care of here. That's uh, <clears throat> this hammer. We've all seen it. A lot of us have felt it, helped beat Sting, Jeff Hardy. I, mean, I don't think there's anybody here in here besides maybe you, Mike, who hasn't been touched by Bully's hammer. I'd like to lay this thing to rest. I think I'm gonna keep it. It's a perfectly good hammer. Ken, you raped me of everything. And for that, I will never forgive you. You better sleep with one eye open. You better sleep with one eye open in the best interest of yourself, but more importantly, in the best interest of your pregnant wife. You all look at death as the last sleep. I look at it as the final awakening. Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's gonna be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome everybody to the return of WrestleRant Radio with the host with the most, the Tuesday Night Delight, the Bleacher Report featured columnist himself, Graham G.S. and Matthews, folks, I am so excited to be back here on Endicott Campus after a two-week hiatus here from WrestleRant Radio, ready to break down everything going on in the world of wrestling right now. Hoping you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving last week. I know I did. I tuned into Impact late that night. Um, it wasn't taped live. It was taped a few weeks prior. But I did watch it later in the evening after I was done eating my turkey and whatnot. And it was such a terrible, terrible show, I'm telling you. But thankfully, the one gem from that show, which I just played moments ago, The Funeral of Aces and H. I'm telling you, people, even if you do not watch TNA and you are at least aware of the Aces and Eights faction that dragged on for 18 months, an 18-month-long faction that served absolutely no purpose at all, you know, built up no new, no new stars, and Ken Anderson, I guess, maybe, but he was already established as it was, but I'll get into that little rant a little later on, but even still, that segment was absolutely fantastic. What I just played was just a brief snippet from that segment that aired on that show. Everything else in that show was com- it was complete garbage. Um, Team Angle versus Team Rude was good. Again, I'll get into this in a few minutes, but if you're looking for some quality entertainment and one of the best segments that I've seen in quite some time, go check it out. Just YouTube it. Just YouTube Aces and H Funeral from TNA Impact Wrestling from last week's Thanksgiving edition. Just great stuff. So we are here today on December 3rd, 2013. Like I said, extremely excited to be back here on WrestleRant Radio. A lot to talk about. Wasn't here last week to talk about Survivor Series. 
in the garbage show that that was. Thankfully, I did not pay $50, $55 or whatever it was to watch that show, but I did watch it live from Buffalo Wild Wings where I live back in Connecticut with a good friend of mine. So it was good to see him, good to see the show with him, and good to uh, – it, it was fun to add some additional commentary to the matchup when the show sucked so much. It started off strong with Miz and Kingston on the kickoff, and then we had the – Four on, uh, I'm sorry, the five on five elimination tag team match at Survivor Series. Just, that was a great matchup, and everything else just went downhill from there. So I'm going to give my brief thoughts on that since I wasn't here last week to talk about it. And of course, we'll be talking about TNA. I'll be kicking off with that in just a minute or so. And I'll also be talking about last night's edition of Monday Night Raw from December 2nd, 2013. So a lot to talk about, as I just previously said. Um, but before we get into all of that, the usual shameless plugs, as I always do, make sure to check out nextairawrestling.weebly.com backslash wrestlerant-radio. That's where you can listen live to the show, or just simply nextairawrestling.weebly.com. Um, lots of great stuff up there. I write blogs up there all the time. My reviews of Raw, SmackDown, Impact, Main Event, NXT, uh, you name it, I review it. It's all up there, so go check it out. NextEraWrestling.Weebly.com. Make sure to check out my official podcast for my interviews with the stars of the wrestling world at WrestleRantRadio.Podbean.com. You can also download the official app by typing in that same URL, WrestleRantRadio.Podbean.com. Add um, on Safari on your mobile device and then press the little arrow at the bottom of your screen that says download to main screen or to home screen or whatever it is. And you can get updates as to when the podcast updates and new interviews are up. And speaking of which, I will be at New England Championship Wrestling, um, an indie organization that I have mentioned numerous times in the past on this podcast. Um, it's going to be this Friday night, I believe it is, December 6th, at the Cove Community Center. It's going to be a stack show. It was a six-man tag team match headlining the show. It's going to be great. So if you're in the area, if you go to Endicott, if you're in the Boston area, the Massachusetts area at least, go check it out. It's definitely worth it. It's a very fun time. It's going to be my third time going to it, and it's probably going to be my last NECW show until at least February because, of course, I will be taking um, a five-week break here from college um, with the holiday break and whatnot, so I will not be here on campus to go to the shows. I will not be close enough in order to go to the shows, so I will not be able to go until at least February, so I want to get one more show under my belt before I depart for the holiday break. So, as I said, if you're in the area, check it out, NECW Holiday Bash. It's going to be great this Friday night at the Cove Community Center. I believe bell time is 7.30 or 8 o'clock Eastern time. Also, make sure to check out the repeat of the show. If you're not listening live on Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time, you can also listen live or, I guess, listen to the replay on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time. So if you're sitting down on a Saturday night with nothing to do, check out the replay of this show on Saturday nights, the Saturday night main event, so to speak. Also, make sure to check me out on Facebook, my official Facebook page. Give it a like at Graham GSM Matthews. Just recently surpassed 300 likes, so I greatly appreciate it, guys, for all the support. really does mean a lot. Keep on liking the page for further updates, more stories, articles, podcasts, radio shows, videos, and much, much more. So make sure to check it out at Graham GSM Matthews on Facebook. Do the same for my Bleacher Report articles. Simply search Graham GSM Matthews on Bleacher Report, the pro wrestling section. I will have a new article up this Wednesday, tomorrow, December 4th, a new article um, it's going to be going back in time and taking look, uh, taking a look back at Randy Orton's pending heel turn that was um, that was predicted by fans last year at Survivor Series. 
in the article, I'll just be analyzing step by step on how Orton's slow burning heel turn was one of the best best built heel turns in quite some time in WWE. I've always said this, but the best heel turns in WWE are the ones that happen gradually over time. Just aren't with the, you know within a snap, within a blink of an eye. This one is, I mean, it's more shocking that way, sure, but when you see it coming, it's a little predictable, but it's just so excellently executed, and that's what happened with Randy Orton. I mean, right now, his character isn't all that great, but I got to give the devil their due, in WWE that is, and building up this heel turn to be as epic as it was from last November to present day. So make sure to check out that article um, tomorrow in written form. It's going to be good stuff. Had a lot of fun writing it. And also, finally, make sure to check me out on YouTube at Graham GSM Matthews. Um, my official YouTube page, make sure to subscribe to me there. You can check out excerpts of this show, um, old interviews with the stars of the wrestling world that I have since uploaded on my YouTube page. Um, you can also check out videos from my general manager mode in SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 for the PS2, where I do additional commentary every now and then. So make sure to check that out, and there's much, much more content on there as well. So make sure to subscribe to me there as well. And that's going to wrap it up for the plugs. We'll get right in now into TNA Talk. Um, I, I'm not able to talk about TNA all that much on this show, so I thought I'd kick it off a little bit. Not going to be doing an in-depth review of Turning Point or anything like that. I just want to run through a few things. Like I said before, last week's Thanksgiving edition of TNA Impact, it was a pretty throwaway show. I didn't expect anything more than that, like I said, because it was Thanksgiving, so I kind of expected some holiday silliness. And Impact has always aired on Thanksgiving for as long as I've been watching the product since 08. So this is not a new thing. Their shows on Thanksgiving are never usually great anyway. It got its lowest rating in quite some time with a .7. Um, or something along those lines, so that was a pretty terrible rating. But like I said before, it really wasn't anything out of the ordinary um, compared to, um, you know, given the fact that it was a holiday, so I'm not really surprised about that. And the content of the show was kind of uh, w- was pretty uh, evident of that because the content was not watchable at all except for that one funeral segment. And speaking of such, I wasn't here to talk about it last week, but Turning Point from two weeks ago was a great, great show. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm liking the new format with TNA that, that TNA has been doing in recent months by airing their former pay-per-views, you know, such as Hardcore Justice, Destination X, Turning Point, and now uh, or it was No Surrender and now Turning Point on Spike TV for free. So it's technically not really a pay-per-view, but more really like a TV special. It makes the shows mean more. It makes the matches that are featured on these events mean more. I really enjoy them. They've hit it out of the park for the last four of them, so here's hoping they can continue the strong streak of good shows, or good uh, TV specials with Final Resolution coming up. I believe this Thursday's the 5th, so I don't think it's the 12th. I want to say it's the 18th that their next TV special is. I don't know what matches are currently advertised for. That's in a few weeks, so only time will tell. But um, I'm looking forward to that because hopefully that will be a great show as well. But the funeral of Aces and Eights took took place last week on TNA Impact Wrestling, the Thanksgiving edition. Um, The sole highlight of the show, like I said before, just hilarious stuff. You had Mr. Anderson in there. You had Kurt Angle. Basically, most of the members of the main event mafia, excluding Sting. You had Eric Young, Mike Tanay and some random priest. Um, these guys just making jabs at each other, at the group, at TNA Creative, basically. Um, there was at one point that Mike Tanay said, uh, he's, he said that he found, what did he find? Uh, was it the hand? No, it wasn't the hammer. He found, oh, he found Taz's cut, the, the vest that he used to wear when he was a part of the Aces and Eights. 
he, I guess he found it at the desk, and he said, um, unfortunately, guys, uh, Taz will still be doing commentary with me going forward, and it was, everyone just sighed. It was freaking hilarious because um, nobody likes Taz on commentary, of course, and that's why it was so funny. But even still, we had Mike Tanay come up and do that thing, and then he said, well, I also found Brooks booty shorts in here for some reason. I'm going to put those to rest as well. But as he puts the vest in of Taz into the into the coffin of the Aces and Eights, so to speak, he takes the booty shorts and he puts them in his pocket. And then you see Magnus looking on in approval. It was just the greatest thing. I was just cracking up when I was watching this segment. Um, Samoa Joe gave out beer to everybody. He looked at he looked at Angle. He's like, "You never turn one down. You never turn one down." And then he give he's about to give it to him. Then he's like, "Nah, maybe not. Maybe not." It was so funny. I'm telling you. And of course, with those familiar with Kurt Angle's recent drinking problems and going with the recent DUIs and the rehab, it was just kind of fun insider stuff. The casual viewers may not get it, but I thought it was freaking hilarious. So, like I said before, TNA fan or not. Go check out that uh, segment, probably the best Aces and Eights segment that has ever happened, ever, in the history of TNA. But like I said before, the Aces and Eights, I was kind of on the fence about them for the most part. In the early beginning, like for most of 2012, I did not like them at all. I thought they were starting to get good around the time that Bully Ray took charge of the group at lockdown this past year. In March, when he won the TNA World Heavyweight Championship and kind of resurrected the group, gave them more victories. Granted, most of the members of the group were, you know, pretty mediocre at best. We had Nux, a.k.a. Mike Knox in there. I mean, not Knox, Nux. I mean, that's the stupidest name change ever. Um, We had Luke Gallows, a.k.a. Doc. That's what TNA called him. We had Wes Briscoe, Garrett Bischoff, D'Lo Brown, who only wrestled a match or two. It was a big waste of time basically is what it was, because it didn't put anybody over. It wasn't like the main event mafia ended the group. They maybe took out one or two members, but then they kind of gave up, and they kind of reset their sights on other stuff. And then they disbanded after Aces and Eights supposedly disbanded. So that was kind of a waste of time, too, the whole main event mafia thing, although I enjoyed it for what it was. But even still, the Aces and Eights thing, just one giant failure for TNA. I I won't say it's the worst TNA stable, then again, I've only been a fan since 08, so I wasn't really exposed to the prior stables in TNA. I was here for Immortal, I was here for the Main Event Mafia, and I was here for the Aces and Eights. So out of those three, I would say Aces and Eights was the worst, because Main Event Mafia was really good. They were dominant as all heck. And uh, Immortal, much of the same for most of their run. And then the latter half of the run was just a complete train wreck when they had uh, just Scott Steiner and angle in there for no reason then hulk hogan turned face and then it was just pointless by that point but even still though um the aces and eights are officially over and i could not be any happier reportedly it was an eric bischoff idea so maybe that's one of the reasons why they opted to get it off tv so quickly i mean granted they've been building towards this for months now but um they rushed towards the conclusion of this angle because eric bischoff is now kind of slowly being faded out of TNA. He's not officially fired yet, like Hulk Hogan was. He didn't. Hulk Hogan didn't get fired either. He just kind of let his contract expire, and then he left. He didn't quit. He didn't get fired. He let his contract expire. That rhymes. And then he just left. So that's probably what's going to happen with Eric Bischoff when his contract runs up. I think it's in January next month. It's either then or in, at some point in early 2014. But they're just trying to stick it to him by getting rid of the stable as quickly as possible. Like I said before, with only four members left, including Taz, who didn't do jack squat for this group since he joined them back in January. 
Uh, I think it was best to kill him off as quickly as possible. So I commend TNA for that. They've been doing pretty well for themselves right now. Um, I've been thinking about this for quite a while, and I'll get to this question in a second, but is TNA currently doing better than WWE? I mean, as far as financially, absolutely not. WWE will always be the the empire, uh, the top of the empire of pro wrestling. We all know that. They're not going to be overtaken anytime soon, if ever, especially by TNA. Regardless of how much money Dixie Carter's family might have, they will never be able to buy out WWE. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a WWE mark. I'm a TNA mark, too. I've been watching these two companies for almost the same exact amount of time. I started watching WWE in April of 2008, and I started watching TNA the following August. So it really, there's not really that much of a difference at all. I'm not biased towards one more, towards more, uh, I'm sorry, more towards one company than I am the other. I'm pretty balanced, and I have to be since I'm a journalist, so I kind of have to be. But um, obviously, I write more about WWE because it has more stuff going on, and more people watch it, and I can get more conversation going with it, as opposed to writing about TNA, and no one really knows what I'm talking about. No one cares. No one watches the product. I have, um, I have pushed people in the past to watch the product. I said for most of 2012 that TNA was the better company, from at least February to maybe, maybe not February, but... TNA really started to get good last year, maybe from February to, I want to say, maybe in the fall season. Um, up until the summer, TNA was the dominant company, in my eyes, in terms of entertainment, not financially or any of that BS. I'm talking about entertainment-wise, in my eyes. Just purely my opinion, nobody else's. But um, right now, I would have to say that TNA is more entertaining to watch. I mean, you know, not all of their shows are going to be home runs. I mean, the Thanksgiving show is... Uh, Pretty uh, w- was pure proof of that. So that was not pretty. But uh, Raw right now is usually bad more often than not, which is unfortunate given how hot the product was after SummerSlam when Daniel Bryan won his first WWE title. We had Orton and Triple H turn heel. We had John Cena leave for a while. We had Sheamus off for a while, who is still out right now. We don't know when he's going to be back. So it's been a it's been a very interesting few months for WWE. They have definitely fallen far. I can't remember the last time the product was as uninteresting as it is right now. And that's saying a lot. I mean, I haven't been watching all that long. If you haven't already noticed, I've only been watching for five years. That's really really little compared to a lot of people who have been watching for ten, fifteen, twenty years, even more than that. So I understand that, but for as long as I've been watching wrestling, since at least the start of the PG era, there have been no times in wrestling that have been as boring as this one since at least 2010. 2010 was dominated by Nexus for the most part, but aside from that, 2010 was a dud year for WWE in my eyes. They had the whole Kane and Undertaker feud for most of the year. That was good at some points, but then it kind of you know overstayed its welcome. And then Cena uh, just dominating the Nexus after SummerSlam was kind of pointless. And then Batista left. We had Shawn Michaels leave. Triple H retired or semi-retired. He didn't come back until the following February of 2011. So I would say the last bad year in WWE was 2010. And that's kind of what we're going into right now. We have been in that for a while. Since at least September, the product of WWE has not been good. TNA um, has been definitely improving since Bound for Glory. I did not enjoy Bound for Glory all that much. But the whole TNA title tournament and the whole the death of the Aces and Eights and some other things that they're doing, you know, some subtle things like the uh, Chris Saban is X-Division champion. 
Um, I'll get to a few other things. Like the, the bromance as tag team champions, couldn't care less for those guys, and especially Zima Ion. I've never been a fan of Zima Ion, but putting him in a disc jockey gimmick, I guess, I mean, I'm only speaking for myself here. I just think it's obnoxious, and I don't think it really fits who he is. But I read an interview shortly thereafter after you know, forming these assumptions about this gimmick was that he actually is a disc jockey or something along those lines in real life, and he enjoys doing it. He's been pitching into TNA for a while, so you know what? All the power to him. If he has fun doing it, if it's that's what his personality is, then all the power to him. I'm just saying I just find it annoying. They don't need another addition to the bromance act. They're annoying as it is. I like Robbie E. I've been watching Robbie E. for almost five years now since he was um, what was his name down in the indie circuit? Uh, Big Papa, not Big Papa Pump, that's Scott Steiner. Um, the, uh, what was I going to say? Robbie Echoes. Um, I, I can't remember what his nickname was. Um, uh, but even so, Robbie E, I've been watching for a while. He's a great athlete, just with a over, uh, just an outdated gimmick with the whole Jersey Shore bull crap. But, um, you know, even so, like I said, you know, I digress. But there's a lot of things about TNA right now that I like. They are better more often than they aren't. With Hulk Hogan gone, Eric Bischoff isn't writing the show anymore. Dixie Carter, as at least a heel, I can tolerate her as a heel. That's kind of who she is. That's not who she is in real life, but she, I, you know, she's probably a very nice woman. But, you know, I just do not like Dixie Carter at all. You know, I don't know how as a person, but as a character, I just hate her. So she's much, she's just much better off suited as a heel. So that's a good thing they're doing right now. The whole AJ Styles thing, uh, when he's coming back, I'm intrigued by that. So everything, not everything, but most things that TNA is doing right now, I am intrigued by. WWE, not so much. It's kind of far and few between as far as things that I like about WWE right now. But I mentioned the TNA title tournament before we get into my review of Raw. I'll talk about that real quick. Um, it's going to be the final four on TNA Impact Wrestling this upcoming Thursday night on Spike TV, so make sure to check it out. It's not a TV special or anything. It's just these two big matches. Make sure to check it out. We're going to get to the finals of the TNA title tournament. I don't know if the finals will be taking place on this show, but I do know the two people will advance to the main event of the tournament on this show. I don't think they'll be facing off, though. I'm not exactly sure. But from what I understand, these two matches will be happening this upcoming Thursday night on Impact. It's going to be Bobby Roode versus Jeff Hardy in a tables match, semifinals match in the TNA title tournament, as well as Kurt Angle versus Magnus in what I believe will be a first-time-ever match, last man standing. Also a semifinals match in in the tournament for the vacant TNA World Heavyweight Championship. So both of these matches should be very, very good. Bobby Roode and Jeff Hardy, we know those guys can go. They had several great matches uh, last year over the TNA World Heavyweight Championship when uh, when Roode was champion in January of last year and when Hardy was champion in the final few months of 2012. So we know they can go. We obviously know that. So I look forward to their tables matchup. And then Kurt Angle versus Magnus. Like I said, first time ever, so we don't know how they're going to work out. But Magnus is very good in the ring, as is Angle. So I'm looking forward to this matchup. I don't know how it's going to be able to differ from the Florida death match that Bobby Roode and James Storm, another excellent match, by the way, that those two had on uh, at Turning Point a few weeks ago. It was essentially a last man standing, so I don't know how this match will differ from that. But even still, though, both of these matches should be fantastic. As far as Roode and Hardy go, I got to go with Bobby Roode here. Um, I don't see Jeff Hardy making it to the finals. I see Bobby Roode making it. Kurt Angle versus Magnus is tough. 
Because obviously we could go with the scenario that Rude and Angle faced off in the TNA title tournament finals. And then Angle finally gets his win over Rude and wins back the TNA title. I think it's a little early in Kurt Angle's redemption story to be getting back the championship if he should be getting it back at all. I mean, I wouldn't even really mind if he didn't win back the championship at any point for the rest of his TNA tenure. I mean, I I like the feud as it is. I don't think the championship needs to be added to this feud. I think it's fine as is, so just leave it. So I got to go with Magnus here. I think Magnus is the perfect victor of this tournament, regardless of whether he turns heel or not. Him versus Styles in a rematch from No Surrender from September should be fantastic if it eventually ends up happening. Um, When Styles comes back, I don't know. This upcoming Thursday night on Impact, it's been confirmed that Styles will be giving back his TNA World Title belt to Dixie Carter via the mail, I guess. I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not, but that's what Dixie Carter said on the YouTube page for TNA Impact Wrestling. So, going to have to wait and see as far as that goes. But I got Magnus here, then we see Rude and Magnus in the finals. Maybe we see Kurt Angle cost Rude the matchup. And then Magnus is your new TNA World Heavyweight Champion. I think he's got the complete package. There's any time to put the TNA World Title on him. I think it's right now. When Styles is gone, maybe you turn him heel and they have a heel versus face AJ Styles match at maybe Genesis or Final Resolution. I think it's a little early because and it's only in a few weeks. So I'll wait wait until at least Genesis in January, or maybe until Against All Odds, or maybe even Lockdown in March. Who knows? But um, even still. I very much look forward to this tournament. I've got Rude going over and Magnus, so hashtag book that. On that note, we're going to move into my Monday Night Raw review from last night. Um, It was actually a middle-of-the-road show as opposed to last week's show, which I thought was garbage. There were a few highlights from last week's show, but overall, I was not enthralled by it, which is you know pretty much the mantra of the WWE right now that I am not enjoying most of what they are doing. But even still, though, um, we had a good show last night. They confirmed many matches for the TNA for, for the TNA for the TLC pay per view in a few weeks. Um, I think it's going to be in Houston. TLC is always a great pay per view. 2010, 2011, and last year, 2012. They've all been fantastic events in my eyes. So I look forward to this year's show, and hopefully, it lives up to the hype and being a great show. And let's face it, WWE needs this to be a great show. After Night of Champions, Hell in a Cell, Battleground, and Survivor Series all bombed, four consecutive pay-per-views all bombed, we really need a clean finish to a match um, in the main event, of course, and I'll get to that in a little bit as well, but um, we need a strong pay-per-view here to go in to 2014 on a high note. We need to end 2013 on a high note. If we don't, then 2013 will just be remembered as a flop year for WWE because we had a down we had a downtime in the beginning first few months of the year. Then in the springtime it was starting to get good again. During the summer it was fantastic. The product could not have been hotter. Then we're in the fall now and it's the most boring of times in WWE right now. So here's hoping to get right back on track with TLC, but Let's go right into Raw right now uh, for December 2nd, 2013. Kicking off the show, we had the best in the world, CM Punk, addressing the authority, who was later met by Stephanie McMahon and Kane, who confirmed it will be CM Punk versus all members of the Shield in a three-on-one handicap match at TLC. No, I'm not sure if this is a tag and handicap match or an all three members of the Shield in the ring at once handicap match. I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I'm, of course, like everyone else, I am sick of seeing handicap matches. We've seen numerous, just infinite, uh, just an infinite number of handicap matches 
over the last four months or so. But uh, this should be really, really good. We have not seen a lot of CM Punk versus The Shield over the last year because if you can recall, when The Shield made their debut in WWE at Survivor Series 2012, it was during CM Punk's match that they interfered and helped him retain his WWE title, helping him get to day number 365 as WWE champion. So these guys have history. And since CM Punk has since turned face from this past June, um, he has yet to go one-on-one with any member of the Shield, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, or Roman Reigns in WWE. It's been confirmed for SmackDown on Friday that he will go one-on-one with one of the members of the Shield, and I surely hope it's either Ambrose or Rollins. Reigns could put on a good match too, but Ambrose and uh, Ambrose and Punk, and then Rollins and Punk, those matches could be phenomenal. So I surely hope that we get a great match out of them on this Friday's SmackDown. And again, a TLC in the handicap three-on-one scenario. So a good promo to kick off the show. It's really good to see CM Punk back in the anti-establishment mode. And, um, the first time that we've seen him in this kind of mode since 2000. I, I want to say 2011, but he was kind of like this in 2012 as well when he was feeding with John Laurinaitis. But it wasn't. It was mostly in 2011, more so than it was in 2012. But it's great to see CM Punk. Battling the authority, battling the uh, the powers that be in WWE. It's making for great television. I look forward to the three-on-one handicap match at TLC. Up next, we had Damian Sandow versus Dolph Ziggler in a rubber match of sorts. After Dolph Ziggler defeated Damian Sandow in the uh, Raw Country matchup from, from a few weeks ago, it was that Nashville street fight or whatever it was called. Dolph Ziggler emerged victorious in that one. Damian Sandow beat Ziggler last week in the Hamptons hardcore matchup. The rubber match this week with the stakes could not have been higher as the winner would go on to TLC as the number one contender for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. So the match only lasted four minutes. I was a bit disappointed because they worked so well together, but I guess we've seen so much of them in the last few weeks that I guess it wasn't really necessary for them to have more than four minutes of in-ring time. So Sandow goes over clean. Good win for Sandow. Him versus Langston could be a good feud if they invest in it. Don't have Sandow com- get completely jobbed out for all of this feud. I'm not saying he should win the belt at TLC. Langston just won the belt a few weeks ago, so it's too early for that. But if they develop this rivalry rivalry well enough in coming weeks, then it could be a good mid-card feud for both guys. As far as Dolph Ziggler, this guy has fallen off the map. I've ranted about this a number of times on this show over the last month or so, um, the guy's just so underutilized. I don't think that turning him face was the wrong move because he was so over and he is still over as we speak. Um, he's still over right now. He's still very much over as a fan favorite. Don't get me wrong. It's just WWE's booking of him. And especially with the two titles being merged, the WWE and World Heavyweight Championships being merged and coming, uh, and coming at TLC... I don't know if we'll ever see Dolph Ziggler as a world champion again. And I surely mean that. I, I truly mean that. And I'm a huge fan of Dolph Ziggler, but you got to think about it. This new championship, if they go through with it, is going to be the face of the WWE. There's no more two titles. There's no more a SmackDown title, a Raw title. No. It's a, just one undisputed champion. And I don't know if Dolph Ziggler will ever regain a world championship at this point. And I'll get to that in a little bit, but... Even still, Sandow goes over. Good match, good booking here. Natalia and the Bella Twins defeated the Divas champion AJ Lee, Tamina Snuka, and Summer Rae in the Six Divas tag team match after Natalia made AJ Lee submit. 
Same old, same old from the Divas. I mean, there are two matches at Survivor Series and the next night on Raw were atrocious enough. But the fact that AJ Lee keeps on getting pinned after week, week after week after week after week, it's getting ridiculous. Why don't we just have a simple number one contender Divas match like it, like we did with the IC title? I was thinking about this a few days ago, but whatever happened to the good old-fashioned number one contenders matches? Why does it always have to be that the number one contender has to pin the champion in a non-title matchup in order to get a shot at the title? Why does it always have to be that way? Why can't they just have a straight-up number one contenders match? They've done it with the IC title on the show. They've done it in the past with the tag team titles. Not so much with the world titles as of late, but surely with the... Uh, with the Divas Championship, they could do something along those lines rather than have AJ Lee get submitted week after week after week. It's getting very repetitive. And I hope she doesn't drop the title at TLC. I'd be fine if she did. She's had a very nice six-month-long reign as Divas Champion. Easily the best Divas Champion in my book. Maybe up there with Maurice and Beth Phoenix, but definitely one of the better Divas Champions in recent memory. Uh, that goes without saying. But uh, Natalia, she hasn't held the title in... Almost three years, almost exactly three years. So, give her the championship. I'll, I'd be fine with that. I guess it's going to be maybe the grand finale of Total Divas. Um, maybe of the second season. Maybe it'll be featured then. I'm not really sure. But even still, though, I would not be dis- be surprised to see Natalia win the Divas Championship. And I would not be opposed to be uh, to that idea either. So, Divas Champion match. Uh, Divas Championship. I'm sorry, I'm botching it tonight. Uh, Divas Championship matchup. Natalia versus AJ Lee. At TLC should be very good. Looking forward to it. Up next, we had Daniel Bryan versus Eric Rowan in Eric Rowan's first one-on-one matchup on Monday Night Raw. I believe on WWE television. He might have had uh, singles matches in the past down in NXT, but I started watching NXT again in June of this past year, and I don't think I ever saw him in a one-on-one matchup. Only Luke Harper. Um, Eric Rowan is better in the ring than I thought he was. Um, that isn't saying much because I thought he really wasn't all that good at all, but he definitely held his own against Brian in this matchup. It got great time. He looked good in defeat, Rowan that is. Um, Daniel Bryan picked up the victory via the roll-up, so that helped protected Rowan. So it was a good matchup, served its purpose. Brian got the win over the Wyatt family. I do question the move to have the Wyatt family lose so many times in recent weeks. It's kind of odd. Um, after It lost on numerous times on WWE television a few weeks ago prior to Survivor Series. They lost at Survivor Series. They lost on Raw the next night. They lost on SmackDown last week. And then Rowan loses this matchup. So they, they still have their heat, of course. And Bray Wyatt's promo, post-match promo after Brian defeated Rowan was fantastic. So maybe that helped the viewers forget the fact that Rowan just lost a, a one-on-one matchup to Daniel Bryan. But even still, though, um, just give him a few more wins. You know, just have him defeat Daniel Bryan or have him defeat a tag team or something. Give these guys some sort of victory to help him get back on track. But even still, the 3 on 1 handicap match at TLC, Daniel Bryan versus the Wyatt family, another great handicap matchup, like I said before. I, too, am very sick of the handicap matches in WWE. I could go out, go without a handicap match for the next decade, but. If it's going to be any handicap match, it might as well be some of the best performers in the company right now in the forms of Daniel Bryan and the Wyatt family, so I look forward to that as well. And changing gears here, switching gears, we had a tag team match up next. We had R-Truth and Xavier Woods taking on tons on Funk. Now, last week on Monday Night Raw, we had Xavier Woods come out to the entrance of the Funkasaurus Brodus Clay. 
And I guess R-Truth had asked Brodus Clay for permission to use his entrance. He said yes, so Xavier Woods used it to defeat Heath Slater on Raw. Four days later on SmackDown, we have a backstage altercation between Brodus Clay and Xavier Woods, with Brodus Clay calling Xavier Woods a rookie, despite the fact that you know Xavier Woods, a.k.a. Consequences Creed, has been wrestling far longer than Brodus Clay has been, if you count his TNA run and you know prior to that, saying that he should not be using the entrance of a main event superstar. I'll say that again. He said, you should not be using the entrance of a main event superstar or a main event player or something along those lines. I literally bursted out laughing when I heard that. Don't get me wrong. Huge fan of Brodus Clay. Have been since day one. But come on, dude. Main event player? Unless he's trying to heal it up a little bit. That was kind of a stupid line. This guy's been comedy fodder for the last almost two years now. And I'll get into this little rant in a second, but I like the idea of an Xavier woods Brodus Clay feud. It's not the most exciting feud, and this matchup wasn't all that great. It was decent for what it was. The right people went over, especially after Truth and Xavier came up short to tons of funk last week on SmackDown. I thought that was kind of stupid. But at least they're starting to plant the seeds for a Brodus Clay heel turn. Now, WWE History 101 here, for those of you not familiar, it was almost, almost exactly three years ago, I believe it was in early December of 2010, that Brodus Clay first appeared in WWE television as a rookie, and coincidentally enough, as a rookie, on NXT Season 4, um, lost the competition, came in second to Johnny Curtis, now known as Fandango, and he uh, cut the promo of the year, so to speak. It wasn't the promo of the year, but it was definitely the promo of his career and one of the best promos I've heard in quite some time. And um, then he left, and he became the protege of Alberto Del Rio, over on SmackDown for a few months, he appeared at WrestleMania. He was at Extreme Rules. After Extreme Rules, he got some sitches, went off to go film a movie, No One Lives, and then came back as a monster, dominated a number of local athletes on WWE Superstars, and was set to be repackaged to debut on Monday Night Raw. They aired vignette after vignette after vignette, hyping Brodus Clay up to be this unstoppable force to be reckoned with on Monday nights. The video package, I just rewatched them all today, were fantastically done. They put over Clay in a huge way, portraying him as an absolute beast. So, being the huge Brodus Clay fan that I was, I was extremely excited to see him debut on Monday Night Raw. And they kept hyping his debut, and hyping it, and hyping it, and delaying it, and delaying it, and delaying it, week after week after week, and so on and so forth, until finally the January 9th, edition of Monday Night Raw 2012 came, and then Brodus Clay came out as the Funkasaurus built from Planet Funk. I was drinking hot cho- chocolate at the moment that I was watching this and almost spit it out all over my laptop. I, I think I was tweeting angrily all about this as it happened, but um, it was just so frustrating to see such a absolute monster turned into such a joke but i gave it a chance i gave it a chance i was so freaking pissed off that night um i went an absolute rant all over social networking that night but i came to forgive myself for getting mad at brodus clay for trying something new with this funkasaurus thing i came to love it it was a guilty pleasure of mine for many many months before they killed it off that summer by having him job the big show he wasn't anywhere near the main event, nor was he ever going to be, but 
He was buddy-buddy with John Cena for a while. He was feuding with the Big Show, who was headlining pay-per-views at the time. So I thought it was a good feud, but they killed him off. They had him job out for the rest of the year. They threw him in a comedy tag team with Tensai, now known as Sweet Tea. It, it was just absolute garbage. And I mean, tons of funk. They're a fun team, but they're never going to be tag team champions, let's face it. So I thought that was a waste of time. Now they're finally starting to come to their senses and realizing that Brodus Clay, there is much, much more money in him um, as a heel. There is much more money in him as a monster heel to be reckoned with, a force to be reckoned with in the WWE. So I surely hope they pull the plug on this Funkasaurus crap sooner rather than later. It well overstayed its welcome here in WWE. It ran its course, Try something new, give him back his old theme music, which is absolutely awesome, by the way. I think it was in WWE 12 as DLC. But, um, yeah, he should definitely go back to his old gimmick and be the monster that he is. Some people are saying, well, this should turn Tensai 2, make him into a monster tag team, but there's just so many tag teams right now in the tag team division, which is flourishing at the moment, by the way, that I don't even think that, you know, disbanding Tons of Funk will be a huge, um, be a huge disservice to the tag team division, so to speak. So breaking them up and having Brodus Clay go out on his own, I think is the best thing for him. He has the potential to be a good big star in WWE. No pun intended because he is pretty big, but maybe not world title worthy, but he could definitely be a, you know, a top player in WWE if booked correctly. Um, And I think, you know, having go through this Funkasaurus phase was the best thing for him. Because let's face it, if he debuted on Monday Night Raw as it was, as the monster that he was, he would have gotten no reaction. Let's face it, then he would have gone back to jobbing within a few months and then maybe released. So at least, you know, becoming the Funkasaurus has helped him, you know, win over the fans in a way, become fan favorites, him and Sweet Tea. So when he eventually turns on the fans, it will mean that much more. I don't know what you do with the Funkadactyls, but Naomi is, you know more than capable to go out on her own. So maybe they keep the Funkodactyls together. Maybe, I don't even know if they call them the Funkodactyls at that point. Just repackage them as, uh, as Orion and, and uh, Trinity. The real names, of course, as they call them on Total Divas. So just do that. There's really no point in keeping them together with tons of funk. Um, if Sweet Tea stays faced, there's no need to have him keep the uh, Funkodactyls. Don't give the Funkodactyls to Xavier Woods. Have him debut his own entrance. So just have Naomi and Cameron go out on their own. I couldn't care less about Cameron. I think she's annoying. She's not good in the ring. Naomi, though, she has potential. So I, I don't care if you keep them together or not. Just ditch the Funkodactyl's name. Have them go out as uh, Arion and Cameron, or I'm sorry, Arion and uh, Trinity, their real names, and just do that. Just just play off their Total Divas you know, David, uh, drama. Just play off of that. Maybe throw her into a relationship thing with the Usos. I don't know. But uh, anything is better than tons of funk right now. Just I'm looking very much looking forward to seeing Brodus Clay turn heel if they indeed go through with it. But up next, though, we had Sin Cara making his return to WWE television. The character, that is, not the wrestler. I'll get into that in a second. Taking on Alberto Del Rio. Del Rio cut a promo before the matchup saying that he is the face of Mexico, some garbage like that, blah, 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 blah. We've seen this matchup so many times that I was just kind of, I've just kind of grown numb to it at this point. So I wasn't really expecting anything great. It was a nice matchup, but the ending result overshadowed it all. Shocking as all hell. Sin Cara went over Del Rio clean. Sin Cara, think about that for a second. Sin Cara went over the former four-time 
world champion clean. Sin Cara, a guy that has yet to win a championship in WWE, went over Del Rio clean. Wow. I was shocked out of my mind when that happened. I'm telling you. And that's an understatement. I'm telling you. I was shocked when Sin Cara picked up the win there. But um, I like it. Del Rio, there's really nothing much more for him to do. I'm not saying he should leave WWE or anything. He's a very good in-ring wrestler. Um, he's good on the mic. He just has a very stagnant persona at the moment. There's really not much more they could do with him. So I, I don't know what you do with Del Rio right now, but one thing for sure, just get him away from the title picture. But having Sin Cara go over here, I like the move. And for those wondering why he has gained a few pounds, why he has new ink on his shoulder, why he has grown a few sizes in, uh, in, uh, in, in height, it's because that Mystico whatever his real name is, is no longer portraying Sin Cara. It is now Hurico, if you can recall, portrayed uh, Sin Cara back in 2011. So this isn't the first time that Hunico has been under a mask. A lot of people say, and I agree with the sentiment, that Hunico plays Sin Cara better than Sin Cara himself. And I, and I could not agree with that more. Especially given the fact that Hunico was much better in the ring than Mystico was. Or at least in WWE. Mystico was a legend in Mexico. I understand that. But he did not adapt to the WWE style well. So WWE, his WWE tenure did him no favors. So and he obviously flopped for the two, three years that he's been here. So having Hunico go under the mask, push him for a little bit, have him face Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania perhaps, I'm all for it. Speaking of Rey Mysterio, he wasn't even on this show for one reason or another. I don't know why. But um, he wasn't used, so I don't know why that was. But I would love to see Mysterio versus Sin Cara at WrestleMania. Finally, just get it over with. Then Rey Mysterio can just retire in peace, and Sin Cara can get over in the process. I- I'm fine with keeping the Sin Cara t- you know, character on television. It was just the guy that was portraying it was the problem. So if you have him go, bring in Hunico, and you don't have Hunico and Camacho anymore. I mean, granted, they're a good tag team to have, you know, a good addition to the tag team division. But I just did not like their gimmick at all. I don't like them as babyfaces down in NXT, so that wasn't working for me. I don't want to see them as NXT, NXT Tag Team Champions. Don't really care for that at all. But um, even still, Hunico under the mask, I like it. I did not like the Hunico character. I found it to be extremely stereotypical. What you do with Camacho, I don't know. Just repackage him. I think he's got potential as well. But, you know, just have Hunico under the mask. I like it. It's a good move. Nice matchup. Shocking result, but pleasantly surprising. Up next, we had the Shield, ver- the Shield, excuse me, versus Cody Rhodes, Goldust, and the Big Show in six-man tag team action. Another very solid tag team matchup. The first, you know, the first half of the matchup was plotting for a little bit. It was solid, just nothing noteworthy. It picked up the pace down the stretch, like all Shield six-man tag team matches do. Really, really enjoyed it. Just a flurry of finishers to the final few minutes. The Shield goes over. Um, so very good tag team matchup here after Rollins pinned Gold Dust. So I was figuring that would lead to another tag team title match for the Shield, but since the Shield is currently involved in this program with CM Punk, that I don't think they can go for the tag team titles at TLC. And speaking of the tag team titles, the tag team division, as I've said numerous times in the past, is on fire right now. Really enjoying, really have been enjoying what they've been doing with the tag team division in recent months and resurrecting it and bringing it back to prominence and so on and so forth. But when I was looking at WWE.com after the show ended, I was looking at the pictures and the pictures for the Ryback and Curtis Axel versus Miz and Kingston matchup, as well as the Real Americans versus Primetime Players matchup. Both matches I'll get to in a moment. 
they were billed as a fatal four-way qualifying match. They didn't. I, maybe I missed something on commentary. I wasn't playing. I wasn't paying close attention to the commentary on the show, so maybe I missed something. I don't know. But I've been saying this for a while now. Something that we should have saw last year: a multi-team tag team ladder match at TLC. Both of the handicap matches right now have no stipulation, and the Orton and Cena match is a TLC match. So with that being said, you need a chairs match, a ladders match, and a tables match for TLC. Why not have a tag team titles ladder match at TLC for the first time in years? I think it would be fantastic. So hopefully WWE goes through with it. But um, if the Shield won't be involved with it, that's fine, as long as we get some other teams. But even still, very good six-man tag team match here with the Shield going over. Up next... I just mentioned this a moment ago, but we had Ryback and Curtis Axel versus The Miz and Kofi Kingston. Now, The Miz has been uh, interesting as of late. Of course, I'm a huge Miz fit, so I'll support him, whether he's heel, face, tweener. I think I think he's a tweener, personally. I think that's the direction that they're going with right now. But it's just kind of hard to tell. With Christmas Bounty coming out last Tuesday, that was primarily one of the reasons why he was faced to begin with, was to promote his movies, The Marine 3, and the uh, the Christmas Bounty movie that was released on ABC Family. Fine film for what it was, by the way. I watched it live on ABC Family. I thought it was a fun film. It wasn't an Oscar Emmy, um, an Oscar award-winning movie or anything, but um, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a fun film for what it was, given the fact that it was produced by ABC Family, not known for great movies, great original movies anyway. But even still, I guess they needed to keep him face to promote the movie. WWE creative forgot. And this is all coming from the dirt sheets, by the way. I have read it on lordsofpain.net. I'm sure it's on other sites as well. But apparently, the WWE creative team forgot that the Miz turned heel. So that was kind of odd. They forgot that he had a movie coming out. So they turned him heel just for the hell of it. And they forgot he had a movie coming out. And they are like, oh, shit. We need him face for the movie so we can promote it. So we can promote it all, all over the place on Monday Night Raw. And so they turned him back face last week on Raw in a terrible segment with Michael Strahan. And they had him face later in the night against Kofi Kingston. And then he was back to being heel on this show, supposedly. Because um, after Ryback and Curtis Axel picked up the matchup, you know, a fine matchup for what it was, we had Miz slap the taste out of Kofi Kingston's mouth. I would love to see a Kofi Kingston heel turn, but the Miz is stressed both on television and in interviews and stuff like that that he's not quote-unquote, a bad guy. He's not a heel. You know, granted, Bo Dallas is doing the same thing down in NXT, saying he's not a heel or anything, and he obviously is. But The Miz, I think, is a different case. Um, The curious case of Mike Mazanin, so to speak, if you will. Um, I like him better as a tweener. I think he's fine like that. You don't need to have him as a full-fledged face. That obviously was not working out. As I've said numerous times in the past, I blame it more so on WWE Creative than on the Miz himself. But even still, I think having him as a tweener is the best thing for him. I don't know what the hell they're doing with him and Kofi Kingston. We've seen this feud God knows how many times over the last five years. And we've been seeing the same thing for the past two weeks now. So I don't know exactly what this is leading to. But this is just very an odd turn of events, especially since it makes Kofi Kingston look like a dope for trying to trust the Miz after he had turned on him two weeks prior. So that was odd. But um, even so, only time will tell as far as what they do with The Miz and Kofi Kingston. But right now, the feud isn't doing anything for me. But I will say this, though. I am intrigued by The Miz's tweener turn right now. Hopefully, they stick with it. As far as Ryback and Curtis Axel goes, uh, as both uh, as far as those two, those two go, 
Um, I don't know why they're still teaming, despite the fact that they're no longer Paul Heyman guys. That was their only real connection, and if Paul Heyman is no longer managing them, then why are they still together? They have obviously shown tension towards one another in the past, so I don't see the point in having them tag team with one another if they don't have much chemistry, but I'm not complaining because any new additions to the tag team division are welcome, so if they get thrown in the tag team title match at TLC, all the power to them, I would love to see it. Could be a great matchup. Um, especially with, I mean, it's more telling of the fact that Goldust is going to be going one-on-one with Ryback this upcoming week on WWE main event this Wednesday night. So maybe that's a telling sign that these two teams are said to clash at TLC. Only time will tell. But um, it, they're a nice team, but I just don't understand why they're still together if they don't like each other and Paul Heyman is no longer their manager. I digress, though. Moving on, we had Mark Henry versus Fondango. You know, a basic squash match. Basic squash match. Mark Henry went over rather quickly. Remember two years ago when Johnny Curtis was built up to be this strange, god-awful character over on SmackDown as the, this weird guy with the weird vignettes, and they promoted the hell out of his debut on SmackDown. And then he debuted finally, lost a match to Mark Henry, and was never seen again on the blue brand. Um, he was demoted back to NXT. So that's what this matchup reminded me of. Mark Henry was just fun all over the place in this matchup. Really enjoyed his entertaining antics here. Mark Henry obviously goes over. Fandango is just a lost cause. Was never really a fan of his to begin with. He's a very good wrestler, don't get me wrong. Just not a fan of the gimmick. There's only so far that you can go with a dancing ballroom character. The character's been around for about a year now since they started airing the vignettes for his debut. He debuted in March but they started promoting his debut, I think, in November. So he's been around for almost a year now, the character, that is. Um, what more can you do with him at this point? Summer Rae has potential. She's already starting to break off into the Divas division on her own. So I'm glad to see that. She's great down in NXT, so I'm very glad to see her getting a chance in the main roster with the rest of the Divas. What you do with Fondango, I have no idea. Why you had him go over Tyson Kidd, who hasn't been seen since that loss on Raw a few weeks ago, and then have him job out to Zack Ryder on WWE Superstars the following week, like I said, I have no idea. Absolutely beyond me. But um, whatever they do with Fandango, I couldn't care less right now. He needs a massive gimmick overall. The Fandangoing has been a massive fail, it's a massive failure. Um, he can get over. He can get over in some cities more than others, but right now he's not doing anything. I'm just not entertained by the Fondango character, so whatever. Moving on, we had the Real Americans versus the Primetime Players, and for those of you that did not want to watch SmackDown last week, and trust me, I do not blame you at all, Titus O'Neil was involved in a food fight. Not a food fight, I'm sorry. A food-eating contest with the great colleague Titus O'Neil won, was then subsequently put in the matchup, with Antonio Cesaro, who has been known for his Cesaro swing. Cesaro locked in the swing during their match on SmackDown. Titus O'Neil subsequently puked all over the place on the commentating table, on the Michael Cole, in JBL's hat on Zeb Coulter. Obviously, it was not real puke, but it was still a very tasteless, tasteless angle, no pun intended. Just very asinine, to say the least. Um, it was just mind-boggling as to why they would even bother doing this. I don't know who would find this funny, aside from Vince McMahon, a 68-year-old man who still finds it humorous whenever someone pukes on television. So that was just disgusting. And then they carried it over to Monday Night Raw, which was even worse, by the way. This matchup was okay for what it was, but the fact they focused all around the Titus O'Neil puking thing was just 
complete garbage. I love the primetime players, but just please don't tell me they're going to be saddled with a puking gimmick. They're already over as it is. They don't need some sort of puking gimmick to get them over. They're not like the uh, that guy in Beyond the Mat, the the Draws guy or whatever his name was. That was remember Vince McMahon. If you saw the Beyond the Mat movie, he was like, "He's gonna puke. Who's gonna puke?" And his whole gimmick was gonna be that he was gonna be puking all over the place. And that was 15 years ago in 2013. Vince McMahon still finds that funny. Only you, Vinny Mac. That brings us to the main event segment: a contract signing between Randy Orton and John Cena, the WWE and World Heavyweight Champions, respectively, signing the contract for their undisputed title match at TLC. Now, WWE went out of their way on this show to say the words undisputed. That's something they didn't do on Raw last week, which irked a lot of people into thinking that we might get another story finish at TLC. Don't rule it out. I know I'm not, because we've seen it for the past four pay-per-views. It would not surprise me that WWE might do it again at TLC. I would hope not, but it would not surprise me at all. So my guard is officially up. But they went above and beyond to say on the show that there will be no shenanigans of any sort. We will get one champion at TLC, a unified champion. And as far as my thoughts on this, I wasn't here last week to talk about it, but I've been really all over the place with this new undisputed championship thing. I've been against the idea for the longest time. I don't think decreasing the amount of championships in WWE will do anything to help improve the product. I think that's just an excuse to try to get the product interesting again, or so they think. Um, Only time will tell to see if that's the truth or not, but I just don't get it. I think it's a very... I, I thought it was a very stupid idea. Granted, the world title doesn't mean what it used to, so maybe unifying it won't matter anyway in the long scheme of things, but... I just don't foresee guys like Wade Barrett, Cody Rhodes, Dolph Ziggler, who I all saw wearing World Championship gold, getting a title shot at, you know, getting a shot at the WWE Championship. If there's only going to be one championship and the world title will be gone, will be done away with, then I don't foresee those two guys getting, or any of those guys, Barrett, Ziggler, Rhodes, and going on and so on and so forth, not getting a shot at the Unified Championship. Like I said before, it's only December. Only time will tell as far as whether it will be a success or not. Maybe they'll unify them for a night or a day. I don't really know. Maybe they um, de-unify them, I guess if that's even a word. Later down the line, if they keep both you know belts separate, hopefully they don't get rid of the WWE Championship belt. They just redid that back in February. So to get rid of that belt will be asinine. So keep that around. Get rid of the World Championship belt, despite the fact it's been around for the longest time. I know it's history. I know it's lineage. But the WWE Championship, let's face it, is more important. So keep that title belt. So maybe you just keep that championship and just do away with the world title. But like I said, the world title is not prestigious anymore, or at least not as prestigious as it once was. There's no more brands. There's no more brand split. So there's no need for two world champions. But it's going to be interesting. I'm still against the idea. They're, they're still doing house shows. Um, they're not doing house shows separate anymore. That was one of the concerns that they need, um, a world champion for the raw house shows and the, another world champion for the SmackDown house shows, but they're not doing that anymore. Now they're just one unified house show, the raw and SmackDown house shows together. And there's no more brand split, of course. And as long as they have the unified champion appear on SmackDown to keep those ratings up, because SmackDown got its highest rating since earlier this year, I think since back in March, they got their highest rating, uh, um, not this past Friday, but the Friday before that. 
They got an extremely high rating, I believe. John Cena wasn't even on the show, but the fact that Cena was world champion and he's been appearing on the show in recent months or the last uh, you know two months or so has really helped improve the quality of the brew br- uh, of the blue brand and making people watch it and making a lot of people tune in. So that's my two cents on that. And like I said before, only time will tell to see if it's going to be a success or not come TLC. And the contract signing itself on the show, it was what it was. I thought they gave out gave away a little too much as far as their match at TLC goes. Cena and Orton, they've fought in Iron Man matches, Hell in a Cell, No Holds Barred, Triple Threats, Fatal 4-Way, Six Packs, Six Pack Challenges, Elimination Chambers, Royal Rumbles, you name it, they've fought in it. So this will not be anything out of the ordinary for John Cena and Randy Orton. But uh, it should be an entertaining matchup, and as long as we don't get any shenanigans at the pay-per-view, then I'm full-fledged in favor of a unified champion as long as it means the product will be on the upswing going into 2014. So that's going to close out tonight's show, folks, for WrestleRant Radio, December 3rd, 2013. One more time, make sure to check out nextairawrestling.weebly.com for all the WWE TNA rumors, recaps, and more. Check out my podcast at wrestlerantradio.podbean.com for all my interviews with the stars of the wrestling world. I will be at New England Championship Wrestling, their holiday show, this Friday night. <clears throat> I believe it's at 7 o'clock bell time, so make sure to check it out. It's going to be awesome. Oh, awful. Awesome. I almost said awesome. Um, is that even a word? I don't think so. We'll make it a word. It's going to be great, folks. Make sure to check it out at the Cove Community Center this Friday night at 7, 8 o'clock. Make sure to check out necw.tv for more details. Make sure to check out the repeat of the show on Saturday nights at 9, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time. Make sure to check me out on Facebook. Like my official Facebook page. Give it the old thumbs up at Graham GSM Matthews. Simply search me on Bleacher Report and all my articles. Randy Orton article coming this Wednesday, so make sure to check that out. And of course, last but not least, subscribe to me on YouTube at Graham GSM Matthews for excerpts of this show, interviews, video games, and much, much more. And, of course, make sure to listen to Wrestle Rant Radio with yours truly every Tuesday night right here on EC Radio at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time. We're only 22 days away from Christmas, one of my favorite holidays of the year. We will be here next Tuesday and the following Tuesday after that for a year, the end of the year awards, so to speak. I'm still trying to kind of configure the details of the show, but it's going to be huge. We got next week and the week after, then I'm going to be off for five weeks until the end of January for holiday break. So it's going to be great. Thanks for listening live, folks, and we'll see you next week with more WrestleRant Radio. This is GSM signing out. Next time, guys.